Hi, this is Billy Burdett with Advocates for Urban Agriculture here at the 2016 Grown in Chicago Summer Soiree and Showcase. You are currently listening to Q4 Radio, and the Mike Novak show starts in 3, 2, 1, go. Good morning, class. Today's topic is happy, H-A-P-P-Y. It's a big word. Well, it's actually a small word compared to photosynthesis or chloroplastida. But happy means many things to many people. We have our own very special academic and scientific perspective on the word, however, which is why we named our huge company after it. We are Happy Leaf, and we make powerful, economical indoor LED grow lights so that you can grow happy, healthy herbs and vegetables indoors all year round. That's like having 12 months of July in a row, over and over, like summer vacation forever. But back to the science part. Our Zen engineer, inventor Victor Zatare, has spent eons researching energy technologies and lighting. And while he was experimenting, he realized that there were some amazing ways to make an affordable, user-friendly grow light for people who aren't agronomists. By the way, we should mention that agronomists happen to love our light. So, Vic put all this research and technology into our LED lights, so you don't have to worry about pretty much anything except on and watching your herbs and vegetables and flowers grow. Impressed? Well, lots of super smart people have been too. Listen, it's no joke lighting technology. Really, there's a lot more to talk about and show you, but we don't want to lecture you. So go to happyleafled.com right this second and get schooled in the science of indoor grow light technology. So, are you happy yet? Yes? Well, that's what H-A-P-P-Y means to us. Class dismissed. Happy Leaf LED. It's about the light. Live from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, just this side of the concrete encrusted banks of the north branch of the Chicago River, it's the Mike Novak Show. Still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday on Q4 Radio and at MikeNovak.net. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. He's not the most interesting man in the world, but he does stay thirsty. Here he is, Mike Novak. Mike one on. Mike two on. Mike three. Mike four. One more time. One more time. We're a little late there. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get it right every week. And, and who cares? Nobody's paying attention. Uh, it's, it's a Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Nothing's going on, believe me. It's uh, But it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yes. Isn't it? Uh, Gorgeous. And, and that's Peggy Malecki on my left. And to Kitty Corner is... The uh, well, it's a it's a George Brigandi sighting. Yes, a George Brigandi 
they're they're rare, but they're special when they come. <laughs> I think he's on his migratory pattern. He flew, yes. flew over the lake and, and landed in the studio. And, and then, but don't move fast because he's right and easily. <laughs> and he flies away. Uh, and also, sitting opposite me, uh, a woman who's going to be on the show um, in about half an hour, Jordan Parker from Bring Your Bag Chicago. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Um, it's uh, going to be a discussion at that time about plastic bags in Chicago, because some of you might have been watching Chicago Tonight. You're just a rock star, aren't you? You're just on all the TV shows. Oh, go on. And, and, and the trip <laughs> and uh, all those places, and they love you, and they call her, and they say, what's going on with plastic bags? Well, we're going to do the same today. Um, but uh, Jordan and I have worked on this together over the last few years. She's done most of the work. She's the heavy lifter, and I just come along for the ride. Um, and uh, we'll talk about state of plastic bags uh, in the city and uh, what the um, – well, it's a year into the ordinance, and they added more stores to the ordinance who were supposed to comply. And we'll talk about what that means, and uh, that will happen around 930. Um, to start the show, and we'll get to Gary in just a second, uh, Gary Kaneen, um, who is the founder and executive director of Seven Generations Ahead. And if you go to their website, uh, which is sevengenerationsahead.org, um, this is one of those organizations uh, that if, if you start following all the links in there, you'll, you'll be there for about three days just trying to figure out all mm-hmm. the different things they do. Um, unbelievable, unbelievable. And he's on the show to talk about some of their initiatives, and they're all about sustainability. Um, and you have to pay for sustainability. You have to fund it. Uh, and so next Saturday, they're holding the ninth annual Oak Park Microbrew Review uh, in Oak Park, in downtown Oak Park, and lots of cool stuff going on with 200 kinds of beers 80 micro and craft breweries, 12 live bands, 10 restaurants and food trucks. They're doing zero waste uh, as much as you can. That's always yeah. a, a, a good goal. It's a, and actually, we'll have to ask, ask him about that because it's, it's always a tricky goal as well. Yes. Getting the, the total zero waste thing going on. Uh, so Gary can even be here in just a second. Uh, then in the second hour, I'm doing this all out of sequence, of course. Um, that uh, you heard at the top of the show, Happy Leaf LED, and that's from their website. And uh, the folks from Happy Leaf LED are going to be on the program. Um, And that is Victor Zatteray. um, And actually, uh, Polly McCann, uh, his wife, will not probably not be on the show, but they're Happy Leaf. Uh, But also, uh, they're involved with the... Illinois, I, I can't even read, it's glaring here. The Illinois Renewable, Renewable Energy and Lifestyle Fair. See, you got it at the tip of your, t- you know this, you got it memorized. Me, I just got it, it's like, <laughs> I got to read it, uh, which is next week also, um, I believe Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, out in Oregon, Illinois. Oregon, Illinois. And speaking of Oregon, Illinois, we got Josh Nelson also, I hope, because we were trying to track him down and we'll see if uh, uh, he's downstate somewhere, I don't know exactly. Uh, and I hope we can get them because they're trying to create a greenhouse on the high school campus that's off the grid. 
Um, so obviously using solar power, and that is um, pretty cool uh, to grow stuff. And, and so we're going to talk about the fair. We'll talk about LEDs, why their LED is better than other LEDs. They sent me one. I took a photo of it. And if you go to MikeNovak.net, you go to this week's show and you scroll down. Yeah, I saw that up there. Past the cool. uh, past my compost. I got a picture of my compost. <laughs> really nasty. Oh, is that your compost? That's my compost. It's really nasty. Um, and then a picture of Jordan. Did you see your picture, Jordan? I did. Okay. I did. That's from several years ago when you had Bagapalooza at uh, Garfield Park. Bagapalooza. <laughs> uh, they, they made this uh, art piece out of bags, which was really amazing. 2,568 bags. And it represented? The amount of bags that we consume in Chicago every minute. Every minute. Mm-hmm. Every minute folks okay yeah. uh and then if you scroll beyond that on the page you'll see the uh the led my, my v2 v2 led grow light from happy leaf led and it's the whole kit there that i have not put together yet but i did unbox it and took a photo of it because it's very it's nice very cool i can't wait to try it out of course it's sun, summer i don't need it right now but i'll be setting it up getting it ready for I'll be sneaking plants in underneath it. No, go ahead, you know. All right, we'll do that. Let's go to the Skype line and bring in Gary Kaneen. Gary, are you there? I am. Good morning. Good morning to you. And Good morning. Thank you so much because you're, uh, you're in the wilds of Wisconsin this morning, eh? I am. I am in beautiful Madison, Wisconsin, downtown, uh, looking at the lake. Oh, that's nice. That's always nice. And and if you, if the weather in Chicago is good today, the weather's got to be awesome in Wisconsin this morning. It is absolutely perfect this morning. Which reminds me, by the way, um, let me just put in one more plug, the return of Rick DeMaio. So um, uh, Rick DeMaio will be here with his climate and weather report uh, at 1045 as usual so we don't have to get Bill Turk our AirSats weather guy, to come on the air. And he says it was difficult. Uh, I'll, I'll have to tell Rick DeMaio about that. But uh, Rick will give us a, a forecast at uh, 1045. But back to uh, Gary. Um, in, next week, it's one of your uh, biggest events of the year, isn't it? It is. The uh, Oak Park Microbrewery View is our biggest uh, fundraiser. It's, um, as, you, as you mentioned, it's a craft beer festival that engages breweries from across Illinois, across the Midwest, and then a, a few national uh, breweries that we have. And it's um, it's been, uh, you know, a wonderful event for us. It's been an opportunity for us to advance uh, our mission and demonstrate that you can do large-scale events and, uh, and, and produce very little close to zero waste. And, um, you know, we incorporate uh, local farm food and uh, with our food vendors and um it's just been a great great event for us um we're really thrilled about it we get about um four thousand people to come out in beautiful downtown oak park and um and just a lot of fun if you like craft beer and cider we'll have cider too aha uh-huh. so uh, i guess that is my first question uh, what i teased a little earlier uh and i'm sure the uh, city of oak park likes it when you say zero waste how do you accomplish that? How is that even possible? I mean, I, 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 I hear stories, and I've been part of, of, of conferences 
where the goal is to do zero waste, and then you look around and you realize, well, this isn't really happening, that there, there's always something that slips through the cracks because one of the things you realize if you're – and I was going to say an American, but if you just say if you're an inhabitant of this planet in the 21st century, is just how much stuff we create. And we create it not knowing what we're going to do with it at the end of its useful life. Uh, so uh, how do you make it zero waste? So a, few, a couple of ways. One, um, we supply all of our food vendors with compostable uh, serviceware. And uh, so we take that, you know, any, any kind of uh, plastics or, or non-recyclable materials out of the equation from the start with our food vendors. Um, secondly, everybody gets a souvenir uh, tasting glass, um, and so we don't we don't have any plastic cups or or anything like that. Um, we um, we also education is a really critical component. We have um, you know compost bins next to recycling bins. We uh, we staff the event with multiple volunteers throughout the event and um, and put really clear signage to to communicate what goes where. And uh, and the education is really a, a big part of it, you know. Particularly when you got people that are tasting beer, they need, they're going to need a little uh, guidance. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> during the process to 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 put the uh, material in the right bin. But you know, uh, those those are some of the key components. Um, we just um, you know we just really encourage that. Um, that people not not bring in um, refuse or anything that's not compostable or recyclable. <laughs> it's right. it's like camping. If you bring it in, you got to pack it out, right? Is that it? it exactly. <laughs> and but we, but we really control the event up front through procurement and through the, the supply of compostable uh, serviceware, and that's probably the biggest uh, thing. And and quite frankly, we pay for it. I mean, and and some some of our sponsors, Whole Foods, has been generous in the past to donate some of that uh, serviceware. Um, but we're not leaving that into the hands of the food vendors. We're requiring them, if they're going to participate in this event, that they use that, that service word. I, I would imagine it takes a lot of volunteers helping people to um, not be throwing things away, too. Exactly. I mean, we, we have, for the entire event, about 250 volunteers involved. Um, and then, you know, uh, a good handful of those are helping out with the zero waste. Okay, we're losing your your Skype a little bit there. I'm hoping that it it, it settles down. Did you say uh, 150 volunteers? We have about 250 volunteers. Oh, 250. Wow. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of folks doing it. And I imagine that they're monitoring uh, and keeping an eye on what people are throwing away. Um, and I assume okay. There's a couple of things. One, you know, you talk about compostable uh, paperware and and plasticware. That's professionally compostable, right? Right. I mean, because a lot of folks think that I can throw a fork into my compost pile in the backyard and it'll be gone in six months. And that's just not true because there there are professional operations. You have to get the heat uh, to a certain level and sustain it. Um, and, and I think that's one of the great misconceptions about compostable uh, uh, foodware uh, that you could do it easily by tossing it into a pile someplace but that's not the case is it gary right i mean uh we have all of the materials picked up 
um, by a waste hauler that transports it to a, a facility that is a commercial uh, composting facility. And um, and those facilities, as you stated, they they uh, can handle the you know compostable service where the the, the compost uh, piles generate enough heat to be able to break it down effectively. And that does not happen uh, typically in your in your backyard uh, operation. <laughs> So don't don't put your your compostable forks in your uh, bag. Compost. They'll just sit there forever. Folks, don't try this at home. This is what they say. Uh, however, with other stuff, well, and let's talk about the other thing uh, aspect of that, which is the food yeah. aspect. People are trained uh, to when they compost in their backyard not to use dairy, not to put meat, um, grease, that kind of thing. Um, but in the in in the larger scheme of things, it's all organic. All of that can actually be composted. Yes, it can. Yeah, uh, and, and and I imagine that's the route you go because you know it depends where you're composting it. it again, for a home operation, when you're wor- worrying about vermin uh, and that sort of thing, you you don't want to have those things in there. It just creates problems. But if you're doing it professionally, commercially, uh, it's all stuff that can be added to the waste stream yeah and you know and that's the that's the advantage of of the big commercial uh compost sites is they can handle uh all of that material and um you know the the communities right now that are um are implementing curbside residential uh food scrap composting pickup uh are um, having that material hauled to these sites, and so you can pretty much put any any food item uh, in the bin, and it's going to be uh, able to be broken down in those big sites. Uh, that's Gary Kaneen, who uh, is the founder and executive director of Seven Generations Ahead, and of course their their big uh, ninth annual Oak Park Micro Brew Review is next Saturday. What time of day does that start? When 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 do you want when do you want people drinking beer? What uh, nine nine a.m. ten a.m. We have a uh, we have a twelve thirty VIP. There are some VIP tickets left over. We've got some great folks. The the um, uh, Pete Crowley from uh, Haymarket Pub and Brewery is is uh, founded the event uh, with me, and he brings his. Uh, a, a big pizza oven along, and they'll be doing um, some some great pizzas and and beers as part of the VIP setup. We've, we've got some other wonderful breweries and vendors lined up for that. Um, at two o'clock, we have a um, a special component called the single uh, single hop pale ale challenge, and we have twenty breweries that are brewing um, from the same recipe but using a different hop. And it's actually going to be a uh, uh, people who taste the beer will have a chance to vote on the winners, and uh, and the, the the brewery that wins the competition will get a nice big uh, trophy to keep with them for the year, and then each year we'll do it. Um, you know, uh, we'll have a new uh, new challenge and and probably a new winner. So we have that going on, and then the main event starts at 3 p.m. and goes to 7 p.m. and um, and that's when the majority of the people will be uh, at the event enjoying all these great beers. And how ma- how many streets do you have to block off for this? Well, we uh, I don't know if you know Oak Park, but it goes all the way along Marion Street. It's probably about um, you know five or <laughs> six blocks uh straight north to south um from from lake street to uh 
to poor fills um and then we've got um side streets that we also um you know have the event on so it's uh, covers a lot of territory downtown oak park if you haven't been there is absolutely gorgeous we've got cobblestone streets uh and um it's just a beautiful venue to uh to host this type of event at and we've also you know it's so easy to get to we've, we've got the green line green line leaves you right there um the harlem stop on the cta green line and the metro same same station right there so you can literally get to and from the event with, with uh, out having to uh, use a car and to uh, and, and without having to walk hardly at all because it's uh, leisure right there. Yeah, grab the green line, go to the People's Republic of uh, Oak, Park, <laughs> Oak Park, and, and uh, there you are. Well, that takes us uh, to some of the other stuff uh, you're doing. As a matter of fact, when we talk about food scraps, um, uh, Seven Generations Ahead is part of the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. Uh, maybe uh, you'd like to, you know, it seems self-explanatory, but uh, perhaps you can give us a little more insight. Well, we're try- with, what we're trying to do with the coalition is to um, uh, really build a viable and robust food scrap composting industry in the state of Illinois. And uh, right now, uh, nationally, uh, 97% of, of food scrap material is, uh, is going into landfills. We all know that that uh, causes greenhouse gas emissions. We also know that when you create compost, uh, it, compost provides um, soil nutrients. It, 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 it filters water. It uh, sequesters carbon. Uh, it, it enhances water quality. Um, and it has all these these tremendous environmental benefits and um, and at the same time by creating a viable industry there's the opportunity to do good by the environment and create jobs and so we're we're uh, working on uh, policies and and uh, and strategies and programs that uh, we think would be a good fit for the state of Illinois, um, that we get more institutions and, and, and individuals diverting their food scraps uh, for uh, for composting on you know large commercial scale, um, as well as backyard. You know everybody we support that. I, uh, it's, it's something that a lot of people do already. Yeah, you got you got to throw in the backyards as well. You got to get everybody on board with uh, something like this. You know, you mentioned what was it? Ninety five percent of our food scraps go to landfills. Was that right? Nationally, yeah. Wow. That's which is insane because then you have to look at the the number, uh, which is thirty percent of our waste is organic. Which means if it's organic, it it can be composted or recycled in some way, shape, or form. So uh, we're missing opportunities here, uh, and especially to create soil. Uh, if you talk about what's in your soil and the microbiology and the macrobiology, it's th- basically something called the soil food web. And the way you get that started is by using your, your food scraps uh, and other organic matter in there. And so that's, that's the, one of the important parts about uh, composting. It's not a feel-good exercise. It actually creates good. It creates good for your soil. Exactly, and you know, in in Illinois and in the Midwest, um, we've all heard about uh, the the rivers that flow into the Mississippi and uh, and eventually um, dump the water into the Gulf of Mexico, and that there's a, a an aquatic dead zone in in the Gulf that's really related to um, the use of 
synthetic uh, chemical fertilizers um, through agriculture. And, um, and so, you know, 12 Midwest states right now have been required by the EPA to come up with uh, water quality uh, protection plans that deal with that issue directly. And uh, and compost is is one of the one of the the, the big solutions that we need to take a look at. Um, you, you can't do sustainable agriculture without um, uh, without compost, without um, soil nutrients. Um, you know, and that's why the fertilizers are being used because they provide that, those excessive uh, uh, nitrates. But um, but they're you know they're doing more harm to our water quality than than good and we've got to figure out other ways to be able to do farming and um and and landscaping and other things that that don't um you know degrade our water quality so compost in our opinion uh has so many uh benefits the other thing it's it's something that we can grow as an industry uh locally and and it's something that can create jobs um and and that's uh you know extremely important in in the economic times that we're in we've got to find solutions uh that are economically and environmentally sustainable uh are we one of those 12 states by the way Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay. Hey, let's get a beer ding for uh, Illinois. All right. Great. We're one of the 12 states that needs to watch what they're <laughs> throwing into the Mississippi River. But it's true. As you said, uh, I don't think a lot of folks are aware. Well, when you talk to them about a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, and believe me, we're not the only people who do this. Uh, so you don't have to just blame Americans because there are dead zones in the ocean all over the planet. There's more than 400 dead zones and they're at the mouth of rivers because what comes down the river, well, a lot of folks think, well, all those pesticides. Well, no, not really. It's nutrients. It's nitrogen and phosphorus mainly that causes that. And in the Mississippi, it's also silt, which is a powerful Nutrient that in, in in the old days we used to let it run into the cypress swamps in Louisiana and other places in the but mostly in Louisiana. Now we've channeled all that straight out like like an arrow into the Gulf of Mexico, uh, and that's why we have a huge dead zone. And it's either this you know in in the um, winter it's the size of Connecticut, and in the summer it's the size of New Jersey because obviously in the summer a lot mm-hmm. more of the nutrients are going down right. the river. So. I just thought I'd, I'd give that little sidelight there, Gary. <laughs> and, 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 and we have just a couple more minutes. Um, you guys are doing so many different things at Seven Generations Ahead. Uh, Illinois Farm to School Network, uh, Planet Green, um, uh, Sustainable Communities, Healthy Communities, uh, Zero Waste we've talked about. You have Learning Forums, Greentown, Chicago. Um, give me just a, a couple of minutes on, you know, touch on a couple of these. Well, you know, regionally, what we're what we're trying to do, and and in collaboration with other organizations, is to get more uh, municipalities and local communities to either develop plans or or implement uh, priority strategies um, that are going to you know decrease energy uh, use, increase renewable energy uh, development and, and procurement. Um, and, uh, you know, reduce waste, um, uh, reduce the use of potable water, um, which is going to be a, a huge issue in, in, in coming years, um, and to, um, you know, to 
de decrease the amount of uh, transportation that we're doing using uh, vehicles and increase public transit and biking and walking. Uh, and so they're, you know, we're, we're trying to create initiatives. Our conferences, our Greentown events, our forums for best practices and strategies and case studies. Um, there are also forums that provide the opportunity for communities to, to plan together and to collaborate. Um, we're trying to get more and more communities to implement these strategies, and we're really keen on uh, on me measurement. And that's one of the things that we do through the Planet Green Initiative is that we've, we have a we put out a report card every other year that tracks total community uh, um, data on you know energy waste, uh, transportation, um, and uh, and and water and 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 it you know by measuring um, what we're doing, uh, we're, we'll actually be able to, to determine whether or not we're meeting the goals within our within our plan and uh, achieving achieving the things that we want to achieve from an environmental perspective. And um, we're firm believers that, you know, what gets measured gets done. Um, and we're trying to uh, help make the Chicago metro area a little more transparent and a little more um, data driven with respect to these issues so that we can uh, you know fully realize whether or not we're we're making progress everybody talks sustainability which is wonderful uh, but we've got to get more diligent at tracking and uh, we've got to get more aggressive with our strategies so, you know climate change is is real it's happening it's going to get worse before it gets better and we've got to increase uh, we've got to ramp up renewable energy big time uh, the last thing I want to ask you, and by the way, I like your Planet Green, um, the play on words. It's actually P-L-A-N-I-T, green, but it sounds like planet, as in the planet Earth. So it's uh, very nice. I appreciate that. Uh, but I see also that, you know, that initiative is with Oak Park River Forest. And I think what that shows, and it's important, you know, everybody looks at the city of Chicago or, or New York or L.A. and says, you guys got to do something. But guess what? The suburbs need to do something, too, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, uh, Chicago metro area is, is, a, is large, and, mm -hmm. and we've got a lot of communities that are using a lot of resources. And, um, and uh, you know, and th these communities are uh, also very, you know, challenged from a from budget perspective, many of them. And um, so we've got to collectively figure out ways to um, enable and empower these, these communities to, to implement these strategies. Um, because they do impact the entire region, and uh, and we're we're thrilled with what you know. There are a lot of good things that the city of Chicago's doing, and um, and we, and we we would like to see more collaboration between um, you know between the city and between these suburban communities. That's Gary Kaneen. He is the founder and executive director of Seven Generations Ahead, the big ninth annual Oak Park Microbrew Review next Saturday. Um, people will start drinking at 2 a.m. and no, uh, actually in the afternoon. Uh, maybe some people will start drinking at 2 a.m. Uh, but uh, 200 kinds of beers, 80 micro craft breweries, live bands, uh, food, zero waste is the goal. Give me a ding for zero waste there. There's a beer ding. Speaking of beer, we got to have a beer ding. Uh, and it's a it's a great cause. It's a, it supports generation seven generations ahead and all the great work they're doing. So Gary, uh, much success to you. I hope people come out and hang around, and I hope the weather's perfect. 
uh, that that always helps too, doesn't it? It, it sure does, and uh, really appreciate uh, Mike having having me on the show, and we'll look forward to seeing everybody next Saturday in Oak Park. All right, great. Take care now, Gary. Enjoy Wisconsin. Thanks, All Gary. Right, thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. Um, and uh, coming up next, uh, the woman who's been patiently sitting in the studio, Jordan Parker. Uh, but meanwhile, there's something new brewing from uh, Natural Communities. Well, would you like to get 10% off your online order from Native Communities Native Plants? I sure would. Well, I'll tell you how to do that in a few seconds. Yay! Then. Yay! But you might be wondering mm-hmm. what you can plant at this time of year. Well, Natural Communities owner Nick Fuller says that pretty much any perennial native is good at this time of the year. He would say that, wouldn't he? Yeah. Savannah Blazing starts blooming now, um, but it can be planted in the fall because like other bulb plants, it will do quite well. He says it's the best butterfly attractor of all Chicago native plants. And swamp milkweed is a resilient yet not too aggressive milkweed. Grasses like little blue stem take a bit to establish, so the additional time this fall really gives them a boost for 2017. Now, about that discount, Mike. Yes, yes, about the discount. Yes, this applies to Internet sales only. Just enter Mike Novak, that's Mike N-O-W-A-K, in the discount box at checkout. The deal is good through August 31st, and you'll receive 10% off any order. So plant with Chicagoland's native plant source, Natural Communities Native Plants. Go to naturalcommunities.net and tell them Mike Novak sent you. I'm hoping that if people spell it N-O-V-A-K, he will still give them the 10. I think he'll still give them the the 10% discount. So I hope folks take advantage of that before the end of the month. Now, did you know that Genesis is the Midwest's largest source of airbrush supplies? Find out more at chicagoairbrushsupply.com or artsupply.com. Stop into their showroom at 2525 North Elston. We could just go downstairs Mm -hmm. here and take advantage of that. And say you heard about them on Q4 Radio or the Mike Novak Show and get an extra, speaking of 10%, an extra 10% off their already discounted prices. Genesis, Chicago's only privately owned art supplier serving all of Chicago's artistic framing and drafting needs since 1946. This is Heather Fry. Every time I open up an issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I know I'm going to learn something. And that's in spite of Mike Novak's column on the inside back page. If you've ever read it, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, in Chicagoland Gardening, you might pick up some knowledge in one of the excellent feature articles, or in one of the regular departments like Ask the Garden Pros, or the Regional Reports, or What to Do in the Garden, or you might be inspired by one of the luscious photos. And Chicagoland Gardening Magazine is just one of 21 different publications of state-by-state gardening. Wherever you live in the Midwest or the South, State by State Gardening has a magazine for you. They feature articles by some of the leading gardening experts in each state, including famous authors, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, even Mike. Subscribe today by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. That's 888-265-3600. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Hey, this is Peggy. 
When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in the Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy, because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to live healthier lives, and Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings, it's the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even healthy pets. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to help keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Chicago and suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us online at nachicagonorth.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. You know, I love the Gypsy Kings, and, it, and I realized as I was recording this last night, put it together for the show, this album's 30 years old, and it just made me just wince a little bit. And I was like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Even the Gypsy Kings have been around for 30 years? Holy smoke. Okay. Um, you want to do a quick plug for before we bring in jordan uh for aua we went to their soiree on yes. the thursday which was really fun I had great weather there was really some interesting people that were there that we were meeting from different high schools who were doing all sorts of growing programs mm-hmm. um and it was good to see them all talking to each other too <laughs> rather than and getting ideas rather than each being in their own little silo but the, that's true yeah but the food was excellent billy burdett and his team did a, a fabulous job yeah, from uh, Advocates for Urban Agriculture, and we got to see the garden on the side of, uh, um, what was the name of the... Uh, Big Delicious Planet. You, see, she's got all the names there. I'm brain dead, uh, but, but <laughs> she's got them. Oh, uh, it was amazing garden. Yeah, the yeah. amazing garden yeah. next to Big Delicious Planet, and uh, we had we had a fabulous time, and actually put up a photo on Instagram. Are you happy, George? Does it make you happy? So happy. <laughs> Don't fly away. <laughs> don't, don't, don't scare George. Don't scare George. Uh, I also want to – I see that Carl Zimmering, my buddy, um, who uh, helped start the sustainability studies program at Roosevelt University, um, responded to our tweet uh, about foodware being composted. He's, uh, he's, he's, the, he's written several books on waste. And i got to get him on the show because uh, he's uh, written – he wrote a new one this year and uh, – Problem is he's in New York, uh, but we'll see if uh, we can we can get him here. And I see that Annie Haven's listening and Sarah Batka, and it's always great to have that crew out there. And you're always welcome to tweet or even call uh, 
the show if you'd uh, like to be part of the conversation, and some people might want to be part of this conversation, 312-985-7834, 312-985-7834, because Jordan Parker is here. She is the chief cook and bottle washer and plastic bag washer <laughs> for Bring Your Bag Chicago. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Um, and uh, you've been fighting the fight now for... A long time. I mean, it's it's like five or six years, Almost isn't it? Almost five. Almost five Almost years. Five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fight, of course, is well. It it evolves all the time, doesn't it? Because it started out as like, how do we, how do how do we deal with plastic bags and, and non reusable plastic bags in the city of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and that led to you. Um, and and uh, other environmental organizations meeting with aldermen and trying to craft legislation several years ago. I was in some of those meetings, um, and uh, we got this plastic bag ordinance last year. Mm-hmm. That has a couple of problems, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, tell us what, what some of those problems are. I, I mean, I, I outline them on my website, Um but I, I want I want to hear it in your own words. Sure. Well, first off, I think um, I think that this issue gets media attention, which I'm always grateful for, because people can sense that it's a, about a lot more than just bags. So it might sound like this niche issue, like you know, there's so many other issues, but plastic bags are just the poster child for pollution. So I think that's why people tend to be interested in this issue, because it's it, it spans the whole spectrum. It's not just plastic pollution. It's food waste and fracking and coal and climate change. And if we can if we can take one little baby step towards being more conscious of our bag usage, then maybe that can open up the doors to solar panels someday or... <laughs> Electing, Maybe. electing officials who believe in science. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, let's, let's not get crazy here. All right. I know, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, so, someday, so. someday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so the problems, um, the problems with this ordinance are many fold. Um, you're sighing. The, <laughs> you're sighing. <laughs> I mean, I've been sighing a lot lately. I know. Um, the the end goal here is for each of us. To have a few bags, a few reusable bags that we reuse, not just 10 or 20 times, but hundreds of times each. Mm-hmm. And preferably they would be washable so we can just, you know, drop them in the laundry when they get soiled. Um, so that's the end goal. And this ordinance is not helping people get there no. at all no. um, for two reasons, because the minimum thickness on um, the reusable bag specifications is too low. It's 2.5 mils as opposed to 4.0, which is the standard. Um, so it that's a little a little sneaky loophole that okay okay yeah we, we we need to set that up because the 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 bags that are used once and thrown away how thick are they? They're they're I think 0.5 mils. Yeah, it's it's yeah. they're very they're the flimsy bags that right. we always see that turn into know, floating to, around. And, they turn into flags in your trees and, right. and on your fences, right. right? Yeah. So those those are um, those were banned, and then retailers could give away one of three types of bags: reusable bags, paper, and compostable bags. So the problem the the second problem is that there's no fee 
for any of these other types of three bags. So as long as people can get a free bag when they go back to the store, they're not going to be incentivized. No, they're not. And, and I bring I, back a reusable bag. And anecdotally, I mean, I, I don't have the science, I don't have the numbers, but I, I, I can see what goes on in a store because I bring my bag every single time, mm-hmm. my Me reusable too. bag, and I know you do, obviously. Um, and I look at people; they don't, they nobody. Very few people. I always, I, I'll pat people on the back. I'll congratulate them when they bring their own bag and they look I, at me I like do I'm. I too. They look like at me you're like a freak. Yeah, like yeah. you're a freak. Exactly. Leave me alone. We kind of are, though, Mike. Yeah. Well, we are, and <laughs> it's, it's you know, freak. and and George, can you tell me why millennials don't bring their own bags? Uh, I would assume laziness. And <laughs> That's a good more name. and more. I know plenty of friends who have those reusable bags, and also I've really seen catching on are the reusable produce bags, those mm-hmm, little mm-hmm. thin right, ones. I have those yeah. too. The mesh, mesh I've ones. always said, though, yeah. people remember things that are important to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never forget your phone, do you? We never forget our smartphones. No, no. We never forget our keys. It's rare that we forget our wallets, our keys, and our phones. So... If this becomes important enough to people, if they buy into it, that, okay, I, I kind of buy into this reusable economy thing now, then they'll start remembering their bags when it becomes important to them. And something I said on the show recently, and I just heard recently, and is really stuck with me, is going to stick with me forever, is I uh, heard some, and it wasn't, uh, it might have been even in regard to this, but somebody said, bad habits are hard to break. But so are good habits. Mm-hmm. So if you get in the habit of bringing mm-hmm. your bag, you will do it consistently. You will do it all the time. Um, and I think some of it may and, also be they have the habit, they take the bag, it winds up in the house. So it's Have like, it everywhere. It's, it's that in your getting briefcase. it back in your car. Put, put it in the car, put it in the briefcase, put it in the little side bag on your bicycle. Have one everywhere. Have it in the house. So that if you're walking to the store, you just grab it as well. And, you know, in our household, we got 40, 50 of those just hanging around every mm-hmm. place. So if you have enough of them, there's always <laughs> going to be a bag available. And they sort of migrate uh, back and forth uh, think, to different places. I think, places. Things. I think I think we need to slow down and just ask ourselves, is this important? Is this important to me that I am conscious of what I do with my waste? So that's number one. Number two, we need to get to kids because adults are really hard. Well, that's why to I change. asked about the millennials. I mean, I have. They're not kids anymore. I know. They've it, been but, raised by people like us who typically don't care. I about guess. That's maybe, very true, yeah. Yeah, maybe if that's it. But you keep hearing how, well, the younger generation has got it figured out and they know all about recycling. Well, they don't. They don't really. Um, it, it's been my experience with it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go into a store, uh, I, the. Uh, store, which is now, I think, a Whole Foods, uh, which used to be a Dominic's on Fullerton and uh, Sheffield, where the L stop is. So you get off the L, and you go into the store to get something, and I would bring my bag, and I have my bag, and I'd look at all the DePaul students, and yes, I'm, I'm looking at you, DePaul students, um, and <laughs> mm-hmm. none of them would have reusable bags, none of them. And I thought, well, I right. thought you were the, supposed to be the leaders on this, showing us how it gets done. It doesn't happen that they way. They were taught how to do things you know, the sustainable way as kids. Yeah. So that's what we need to do now. We to need your, to get to kids. To your point earlier, I think it's really important to make it habit because for uh, college kids, for example, they're always on the go. So to have one at 
an easy, convenient place like their backpack or their bike or their car, I think that will save immensely. Well, that's where Chico bags come in because they're so tiny. And you got the little clip that you can just put them on stuff. There it is. That's how you do it. Yeah, I love these. I have... I have a few of them, and I've used them each hundreds of times now yeah, already. I have, too. Uh, they have good durability? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. And you just drop them in the washing machine when, mm. when they get dirty. Those, a lot of the reusable bags we, we see around there, we get at events. You know, we get them mm-hmm. in the mail when we donate to something. Sure. They're, they're I got one just plastic. the other day. I went, okay. Okay, I can always use a clean bag. Let's put it that <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, but they're difficult. Again, the, the end goal is to have a reusable bag that you reuse hundreds of times, not yeah. just six times. Not uh, just until look at it my gets bags gross in the bottom and, and, and well, then you toss it. You know, so those, well, then you wash it, and it still those never are gets hard really. To wash though those, those some of them, yeah. Sturdier ones. Oh yeah, well, the, pl- the plasticky ones. ones, yeah, yeah. Like you can wipe them out, but that's why that, that's the Chico bags are great because they're yeah, easily you can washed. Wash them. Yeah, but but you know I want to get back. See, this that's the goal is getting everybody uh, to bring their own bag. Here's what happened in the city of Chicago from my perspective. Okay, Jordan and I and other organizations said came to the city and 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 actually I believe it was Joe Moreno, Alderman Moreno, who wanted to have some sort of ordinance. Uh, I'm not sure if he started the conversation. Somebody started it. And, and so we all started meeting and talking about it. And we said, the, the environmental group said, the only way this works, and this has been proven throughout the world, is if you attach a fee right. to, to the bag. As it's long the, as there's an option for a free bag, people won't think about exactly. whether they need it or and not. And we said, sat down with Moreno, sat down with George Cardenas, this won't work unless we attach a fee. And, of course, they said, well, we, uh, we can't. No, no. no it's, yeah, we can't it, do that. You know what? 2015 happened to be an election year. Well, that's so surprising that they wouldn't add a fee on there. Uh, and so they didn't. And there was, there was a great deal of arrogance there. They, and they said, they well, didn't d- listen to the environmentalists. No, they didn't. They didn't, the, they didn't look at data from other cities. No. You know, they kind of decided to do their own thing here and we warned them and said this is going to be a debacle and they said yeah well you know what we're going to do it we want to do we it we want to do it we're going to pass yeah. because they were just interested in passing legislation and it didn't need to be good legislation they just needed to look like they were doing something okay even if it was bad and wrong and then you have to then it takes years to undo it which is where we are I think which they, which we I predicted. They, I think they kind of believed it might have been good policy. They didn't look at the data oh, they, from they, other cities. You're so being way too again. kind. You you really are. You're being way <laughs> well, too said, kind. Well, I said there was a, de- a great deal of arrogance there. There was. And yeah. so they didn't put a fee on it, and they said, don't worry. You If you're a, a store, uh, you can give away paper. And all of us shook our heads and said, it ain't going to work because people are just going to take whatever's free. And then I don't even know how the – the, the extra thick bag got involved in the equation, but they uh, allowed a loophole, which is, well, you can't give away the 0.5 mil bag, but if you bump it up four times to 2.25 mils, 2.5, 2.5 yeah. mils, you can give that away for free. So what happened, and if you, and I have a, a story that was in Chicago Magazine, basically, where they, they prove, they show it, that uh, be, because of the number of bags being given out now, 
even those there, there's a because you're not double bagging, there are fewer being given out. However, because they're thicker, in essence, we have more plastic in the waste stream in Chicago than we did because before. Yeah, because they're about five times as thick. It's about 2.5 times more plastic going into the waste stream. And people yeah. don't reuse them. And that's the other because thing. Because they know they can get another one for free. For free. If they forget it. So that's that's the big... The thickness is a problem um, because if it was 4.0, then the thickness would be just, just thick enough that retailers might think, I don't know if that's cost effective to give away that much plastic. But again, Moreno has introduced several amendments. One of them is... This arbitrary. Anytime, you know, anytime Moreno now uh, suggests an amendment, I run for the hills. Okay. I'm I'm doing duck and cover because it's it's going to be more bad policy. Yeah. I look for which bag manufacturer he's been talking to recently. That's what I look to. Well, okay. You got to, you got to bring that up because that's the other thing is that one of the things, one of the other loopholes was that compostable and I'm using air quotes here. Mm -hmm. And we just talked to Gary Mm Kaneen from seven generations ahead who said, when you got plastics, they have to be commercially composted. Right. Uh, So the city in its infinite wisdom said, well, don't worry, we'll let compostable bags be Mm -hmm. part of the equation. So, you know, it sounds good. Compostable. When people hear compostable, they know enough to think, oh, that's good, right? But what we need to get in the habit of doing is thinking about the entire life cycle of something. So Mm -hmm. if there's a compostable plastic bag, is it going to get composted? We need to think about the end of its life. Right. And if it 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 gets out into the environment, it blows around just like a traditional plastic bag. Correct. Yeah. Um, And I believe we only have two commercial composting facilities here. They don't want any. In Chicago. I believe so. They don't want any... Any significant amount of compostable plastic, it makes crappy compost and is easily confused with traditional plastic. We don't have any curbside pickup. The likelihood of a compostable plastic bag here in Chicago actually getting to one of those those facilities is like nil. It's, there's yeah. like barely any chance that that's going to happen. It's like styrofoam. Uh, styro- the fi- styrofoam manufacturers or expanded polystyrene, if you will, number six. Um, they claim, don't worry, it's 100% compostable, except that there's like 10 places in the whole country where you can actually... Compostable? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, recyclable. Recyclable. Yeah. Right. No one will take it. Yeah. So yes, theoretically, something might be recyclable. Theoretically, it might be compostable. But is it actually getting recycled? Is it actually getting composted? Those are the big questions yeah. we need to ask. So so those were, those were the big issues with the ordinance. And now... Um, now I think everybody's kind of come around to the data, and um, Irma is also a proponent of a fee. And by We've the way, Irma is the, the Illinois time. Retail Merchants Association, and mm-hmm. I have talked to you about this, Jordan Parker uh, from Bring Your Bag Chicago. Uh, when the Illinois Retail Merchants Association is on the same page with an environmental group, you know you have really bad <laughs> legislation, okay? Even, you know, they're they traditionally, Correct. it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like the Chamber of Commerce, you know, getting the Dems on the same page with the Chamber of Commerce. It does not happen. And so here we have Irma and, and Jordan uh, appearing on the same program on Chicago Tonight. You were on earlier this week. Correct. And you guys are basically agreeing on oh, everything, yeah. which is yeah. the ordinance doesn't work. Um, it's leading to more plastic in our environment. And paper. This, and paper. And paper, mm-hmm. which is 
It got has its, its own carbon footprint. Oh my! It's got a terrible mm-hmm. carbon footprint. You know, folks, if you think that you're doing better by you know, and 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 I and I, I would like to believe that myth had been debunked a long time ago. But if you're taking paper and thinking, well, at least I can recycle it. Yeah, you can recycle it. But do you know what it takes to produce that stuff? Actually, mm-hmm. to pl- produce one of those little plastic bags has a, causes a lot less damage to our environment. But it's the 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 end of life that causes the problem there, where Correct. animals get caught and they ingest mm-hmm. it, and 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 you know, uh, whales die because they have plastic bags in their stomachs. This that's is- one of the most heartbreaking things is the amount of plastic that's being found in stomachs of of animals in our oceans. It's it's just absolutely devastating. And you know, out of sight, out of mind. That's part of the right? problem. We is don't see it. We don't mm-hmm. see. So well, what do we care about that? So so here we have this. This uh, ordinance that a year ago they said uh, uh, chain stores with more than 10,000 square feet would have to immediately comply. And then they gave the under 10,000 square feet, but you have to be a chain, which means three stores. Right, like or, a 7-Eleven. Like re- a 7-Eleven. Retail only and not fast food. Uh, right, food is, is not part of this. Correct. All right, And the mom and pops, if you have one store, you're not part of this either. So they still get to have those plastic bags out there. Right. Um, and so as of uh, this past week, the the smaller stores under 10,000, but but having a three or more in the chain had to comply as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, is so, it going to make any difference? I don't think so. Right. So going forward, um, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what is the best way to fix this? And everybody needs to meet It's called the, the ballot box somewhere. is what it is. Okay. <laughs> correct. That's correct. the best way to fix this. Correct. Um, but everybody has to overlap. And as an environmentalist, my ideal solution would be charge a dollar per bag and all of that revenue goes towards an environmental fund. That would be my ideal solution. I'm w- okay, I am so right? totally with you there. But that's so I can't believe you said that. But it's, but it's so head in the clouds. So, so yeah, but has their idea. The mayor's office has their idea. Mm-hmm. So we're all going to meet somewhere in the middle. None of us are going to get 100% of what we want. So what is that overlap? Is it amending this ordinance and, re- and charging, mandating that retailers charge a 10 cent fee on the bags that they are allowed to give out now per this ordinance? Or is it bringing single-use plastic bags back but mandating that retailers charge a 10 cent fee on any bag they provide? So right now, that's one of the big questions. Should we kind of scrap this ordinance and start over and do what New York just did, which is they didn't ban anything. They just mandated the retailers charge a 10 cent fee on any bag, including that flimsy single use two cent plastic bag that sure. we banned. So should we scrap it, go back to that? Or well, we know, we, we know that the fee works. Okay. Absolutely. It just knocks down uh, the participation and the use of, of those plastic mm-hmm. bags. It, it works. It triggers some awareness. That the but I'm with sale. you. You know, my feeling is, you got to make it hurt. Um, so, I, you oh, know, a nobody paid. A bag would be awesome. It would be would great. And then that. you could take that money. You want to pay for Chicago public schools? That's one way to do Fully it. Fully funded. Yeah. <laughs> we would be. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have these big battles uh, between the mayor and, and the teachers mm-hmm. union. Um, I, I see that uh, people are responding. But then people say, these eco-terrorists want to charge a dollar a bag. You know, I, I love it when I get called an eco-terrorist. For one, I'm not blowing up any plastic bag manufacturer. I wouldn't be sad if that happened. Have you been called an eco-terrorist? Yes. 
Really? Yes. Who called have, you an eco-terrorist? Every time I'm on a show like this, oh, I get you, called so. an eco-terrorist. Oh, love them. <laughs> yeah, what are you guys doing? You know, you just... Uh, I'm like, hey, I'm... I'm doing this for free, by the way. Those are the, the people who call you an eco-terrorist are the ones that are going uh, out to the uh, Chicago Botanic Garden and feeding plastic bags to turtles. So, uh, <laughs> right, right. There's other, there are other issues there. I hate those people. But, I know yeah, you do, like, George. I mean, I'm, I'm taking one for the team here. I'm trying to fight the good fight here. I'm not, you know, I'm not terrorizing anybody. No. <laughs> No, you're not, Jordan. You're you're calling attention to it uh, in a good way, and I'm glad you continue to do that. And we're out of time. Uh, Jordan Parker from Bring Your Bag Chicago. If you want more information, the best thing, it's all right there on the Facebook page, Bring Your Bag <laughs> Chicago. And Thanks, that's Mike. where all the focus is. Um, and we will keep track of this because, um, unfortunately, it's still an issue here. We didn't solve mm-hmm. anything, and it's just – well, there has been some movement, so yeah, there's there's movement thing. and people, people talking. talking. Like I said, it, when, so we'll, we'll fix it. Well, when Joe Moreno starts talking about amendments, I like I said, I'm heading for the hills because it's <laughs> it, it can't be good. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show. The second hour, we talk about renewable energy, and uh, I hope you stick around for that. Captain's log, stardate four two three two six point one. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form, Mister Wolf. Status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Worf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? to the Mike Novak Show, still Chicago's only locally broadcast deep green gardening and environment program. Broadcasting live every Sunday from the Genesis Art Supply Building on North Elston Avenue, on Q4 Radio, and at MikeNovak.net. Here he is again, Mike Novak. Ain't no big thing. Ain't no big thing. Welcome back to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show, and uh, I uh, I dialed up the uh, the tw- uh, not the Twitter the the, the Skype Rooney the, the, the Skypey the Skypey yeah the Skypey. Let's see who's there. Uh, Victor, are you with me? I am here, Mike. Uh, Josh, are you there by any chance? I am here, Mike. Oh Ooh. my goodness! Uh, give us a ding there. Every time the technology works, we're just amazed. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a victory. 
uh, not a victor, but a victory wow. for, for technology here. It's and the little things that make our mornings. Exactly. Yep. But, and, and that's kind of the whole deal here, isn't it, Victor? It's, a, it's about how, how do we move technology forward? Well, you know, it's, it's not an easy question, but uh, it, it, it is sort of cool how it works uh, over time and, and helps our lives. So. Well, and, and one of the things, uh, if, if folks listened all the way back to uh, the beginning of the program today, and I, you, don't, you probably didn't hear it, Victor, but I played uh, uh, a little uh, audio from your own website from uh, Happy Leaf LED uh, website um, about being happy. And, uh, yeah. And, and that's what uh, you guys do uh, over there. Uh, you have come up with, I guess what we call it is, is a better LED. And I didn't know that uh, there was room for improvement yet, but apparently there is, isn't there? Well, there's always room for improvement. And I, I think you're right, Mike. We, um, you know, I've been involved in LEDs for, you know, six or seven years now. And I saw a really interesting need for the ability to grow food indoors for people like you and I, and as opposed to the big greenhouses. And I think the light we have enables you to do that very, very nicely in your own home or apartment. Uh, it, that is true. And you guys, you and uh, Polly McCann, um, you, you like to call yourselves, uh, well, you're targeting the modern homesteader and master gardeners and those kind of folks. Yeah. So, you know, we found that there's, you know, a lot of gardeners who really enjoy growing outdoors all summer really get frustrated in the winters because the methods for growing indoors has been very difficult. And um, basically what we've done is made a system that allows you to use your LEDs as well as a very simple process that was developed originally by a fellow by the name of Dr. Bernard Kratke, He's a Ph.D. from Purdue that came up with a way to use canning jars where you literally put water and a little bit of nutrient in there, put your seeds in it, and turn the light on. And you can have that in your kitchen, in your basement, in a closet. We have people literally growing all their own leafy greens and herbs um, in a closet. And they just walk over, grab what they'd like um, any time of the year, and they're, they're, you know, they're able to eat very very good hydroponically grown uh, leafy greens, vegetables. I've grown carrots, beets, all sorts of things, and it tastes phenomenal, and there's no herbicides, no pesticides. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today, I think, and what the greenhouse is that we're working with Josh on is the ability to grow your own food all year long with literally zero external energy. It's, it requires no heating, no external power, and we're using solar energy, basically, and the temperature of the Earth to create a system that is very simple, very easy to use. So, well, Okay, well, we'll get to that in a second. Let me, let me do a proper introduction. That's Victor Zadere, uh, and you spelled it Z-A-D-E-R-E-J, and yes. um, he's with uh, Happy Leaf uh, LED. Josh Nelson is also on the phone. He's an ag teacher at Oregon High School, Oregon, Illinois, um, and uh, they are uh, planning to go off the grid uh, a little bit, um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, both of you in the past 
have been involved with the Illinois Renewable Energy Association and the Illinois Renewable Energy and Lifestyle Fair, which is next week, and I want to encourage people to be part of that. Josh, I, I, I hear you will be part of that. You'll be making a presentation, but, Victor, you've got other plans, right? That's correct. I'm actually going to be where Josh is today at SIU getting my son started in school this year. So, <laughs> uh, You're excused. You're excused for one year, okay? Okay. I'll be back next year. <laughs> All right. Um, Josh, I'm going to get to you in a second, but there's uh, several things that uh, Victor said that uh, I'm, I'm very curious about because you're talking about no energy input. You sent me uh, a V2 grow light. Um, and uh, <laughs> I have, I have a lot of questions about it. Okay. Um, sure. but, but the, the first thing is it plugs in, but you're talking about systems that don't plug in that just tap into the sun as well. That's right. So that grow light was actually designed so that you can either plug it into the wall and use a 24 volt power supply, which most of us, you know, don't have solar systems. But because of the way it was designed, it will run directly off of a battery that has been charged by the sun. So our little greenhouse actually has two solar panels on it, and it it's uses even less power than you would have if you were plugging it into the wall because you don't have the losses in the power supply. So now Josh's greenhouse will actually be able to collect the energy from the sun during the day, charge some batteries and then at night when the sun goes down that the battery the led grow light will come on and allow you to continue to grow at night so it's literally running directly off the sun in this case which is why you're you're saying that it's it's off the grid um and the uh you 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 write on the website that seeds starting, uh, well, no, no, let's go. To encourage growth, most plants require approximately 200 micromoles per square meter per second of par. Okay. You want to explain? I'm thinking back to my high school physics class. I, ah. My brain hurts. Um, Thank you, Gumby. <laughs> that was actually yeah, uh, so- Monty Python. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go for it. So, so, so PAR is a term that is becoming more important as we try to grow food um, because PAR stands for photosynthetically active radiation, which is the energy that plants need to grow. Um, many people in the past would talk about foot candles or lumens or lux, and that's, the, that's what our eyes see, and that's the type of lights that we had before. But in grow, the grow light industry, Basically, what you're trying to do is maximize the energy that the plants need. So this term PAR has come up, and the measurement is in micromoles of energy per second, or it's photons per second. So that's what that means. And the term, um, or the 200 micromoles, is what a good average is that plants need to grow to full production. So I hope that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, it does. Now, and and how, but how how uh, how would that compare to sunlight? What in uh, the uh, the light from your LED uh, is is not uh, being given to a plant that the sun gives? Well, 
from the sun itself, you're getting on a, in a sunny day. If you did the same measurement, you may get 2,000 micromoles. Okay. But in most cases, the plants cannot actually use that much energy, anyways. So what we're trying to do is get as much as necessary for the plant to grow. And what we found is somewhere from between 100 and 300 is where you need for really growing the plant. And in the past, a lot of people have used uh, T5 fluorescence, for instance, to start their seeds. Sure. And what happens is there's not enough energy coming out of them. When you measure the energy coming out of them, you're getting more like 20 to 100 micromoles under the light. So a lot of people get frustrated because those fluorescents don't put out enough of the energy in the right wavelengths for them to be useful. So they're good for seed starting, but when you try to grow your own food indoors all year, you need more energy, and, and that's where LEDs come in. They do it five times more efficiently than fluorescent lights do. So that really is a, a huge difference. Yeah, and I, you know, I've done the fluorescent uh, growing, and one of the things you learn, uh, and and folks um, who don't do this are, are, are surprised that how close to the plant you actually have to put the light. Um, right. You got, you know, when you start it, put it an inch above. It's, you know, and and I think folks are under the uh, the misapprehension. Uh, that's not the right word. The uh, <laughs> But they're afraid that they're going to burn their plant somehow by putting a fluorescent light that close to it. But the idea is you need you need that luminosity there. You need you need that light for the for the plants to grow. And um, well, that's yeah that that that's exactly the dilemma because um, the LED or the the LEDs put out very little heat. But when you do a fluorescent that close, which you need to to get the energy, mm-hmm. uh, you 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 create a lot of heat, which will burn the plant. So using LEDs is really a game changer. And the real issue is that many people are not that grow are unfamiliar with the fact that LEDs are a game changer. And I think within five years, we'll look back and say, wow, you know, this was the turning point. Um, as soon as you become familiar with it, you'll never go back. It, LEDs are really an incredible uh, advancement in technology, which is one of the things you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Victor uh, Zatteray from uh, Happy Leaf LED uh, out in Oregon, Illinois. Um, we are um, trying to arrange a field trip out there with uh, some of my friends so I can see your home, which uh, is a passive uh, heat, isn't it? Right. So, yeah, we, we built our home here, Mike, 10 years ago, and I think you and I spoke last about six years ago. Yeah, it was we, six years ago. I couldn't – I can't believe it was that long ago. I was looking yesterday, and I go, okay. <laughs> I talked to Victor a couple of years ago, and I kept going back and back and back. and went, oh, my goodness, it was 2010, wow. the, the last time we talked. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was just so blown away by how how fast time flies and how long it had been since you and I had chatted about this, but – Uh, Tell me about your home. Well, you know, we built it uh, 10 years ago in Oregon, Illinois, and uh, I've been studying or interested in this whole area of super energy efficient building for about 30 years and finally decided to go ahead and do it. And so we built a home that meets what's called the German passive house standard, which means you can heat it with about one watt of energy per square foot on the coldest day of the year, which is about eight times more efficient than the current standards of home building. And it's passive solar 
um, designed with very efficient windows and walls, and it's got constant flowing fresh air coming through the earth, which is actually the same principle that we're using in the greenhouse that uh, Josh has on at the high school. And it's, it's miraculous. You know, after being here 10 years, it's really the quality of life that we say is the biggest benefit, not even the energy savings. I mean, we, we use practically no energy, but the reality is the quality of life. It's quiet. It's got flow, constant flowing fresh air. And literally, we turned off the heating system one winter and before we were living here full time and left. And on the weekends, we'd come back. But on a typical sunny day, it was between 68 and 72 degrees Fahrenheit without a heating system. And the coldest it got all winter was 55 degrees. And that was because the temperature of the earth basically is tempering the incoming air and uh, it's truly a house that you could live in off the grid if necessary. So it's, uh, it's been really neat, and it's been a neat 10-year. For me, neat. it's been a big experience, but for Polly, it's been a life-changing way of life. Yeah. Neat. It's like a master of understatement. This was neat. Um, if I move out to Oregon, Illinois, will you build one for me? Absolutely, Mike. You know, I do this as a hobby. There you go. And I love helping people come up with, something that they enjoy, you know, using and living in. So you don't have to move to Oregon, Illinois, by the way. You could live wherever you want, and I'll help you. Really? <laughs> I, I'm, see, now, I now see, here's a challenge. That's the challenge because I live in a barn, okay? I live in a yeah. barn in Chicago, 125-year-old home, um, uh, which just leaks air and uh, is a balloon frame that's not fully insulated, and I spend – way too much money on uh, heating and cooling. Um, uh, could you do that in the middle of Logan Square? Well, you can do some things. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to reduce your energy use, um, but it is definitely, I have to admit, it's much more difficult when you already have an existing home. But I have done that with some, some homes where we literally reduce the amount of energy and the comfort level dramatically but it's not quite going to be the same level as building it from scratch because you can do so much more when you uh, when you have a clean piece of paper to start with. Yeah, obviously. We actually, I'll, I'll, I'll add one more comment. Um, an architect and I have designed a small 1,200-square-foot home that we'd like to build with the Morton Arboretum. Uh, we've actually proposed it to them, and they really love the idea, and it's completely off the grid. We literally put solar system up that that collects all the energy that you need. It's 1,200 square feet, foot, two bedroom, two bath. And they would love to build it as a demonstration project, but they also admit that they move at the speed of trees. So it may very well be <laughs> here from now before we're, Wait, Where's the rim shot quick? Before, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's, it's in the process. And uh, I could show you that when you come out here, what the design looks like. So uh, that... That is just uh, okay, and I am. I, I, I do have to do that. Morton Arboretum moving at the speed of trees. Oh, that! Wait a second. That was their own word. That was their own word. So. Okay. There we go. There we are. Um, and all right, now it's time. We got to. We got to get Josh into uh, uh, into the conversation here uh, because uh, I'm just. 
I'm just going to start to cry if I hear any more about uh, how little uh, Victor pays for his heating and cooling. Uh, <laughs> Josh Nelson, uh, teacher at uh, uh, Oregon High School in agriculture. What's uh, obviously that's part of your background. You got a little more uh, uh, biography for us? Yeah, I, uh, um, I have a little bit of a background here. Um, I'm starting my fifth year teaching uh, in agriculture. Uh, come from a uh, family farm and uh, uh, excited to bring uh, my knowledge to the agriculture classroom. And uh, so this project just sounds phenomenal. Um, uh, Victor explained a little bit about it, but why don't you tell us in your own words? I'm excited for this project, Mike. Uh, I think we're part of a revolution uh, that's going on in our society and uh, creating and producing locally grown food, which is uh, a phenomenal benefit all on its own. Um, I believe that uh, in order for this movement to succeed long term, we've got to start with the kids, the future generations, and teaching them once again. Uh, The average person is uh, three generations removed from the farm, and it's shocking on the lack of knowledge that we've been able to pass down to them in order to grow food. And this project will allow our next generation to flourish in growing their own foods within their home, uh, both uh, sustainably and economically. Well, you know, you talk about how this is a revolution uh, in terms of growing food, but it's also a revolution in terms of where we get our energy. So you're, you're, you're actually combining the two. That is correct, and, and that's what uh, has provided a lot of the motivation in uh, moving this project forward. All right. So, how how did the project happen? I mean, how how do you how does a, a high school in Oregon, Illinois, get to the forefront of technology? Oregon High School and the Oregon School District is uh, is very progressive in its thinking in uh, in education of the student body, and we want to make sure that uh, we're providing students with uh, the latest uh, thinking, the latest technologies, and uh, the hands-on approach. Uh, we know that uh, student engagement increases when they take an interest, when they see the value of the learning that's happening. And uh, we all know that uh, we all need to eat three times a day. And um, students are very intrigued on where their food's coming from and knowing more about the food system that we've developed uh, in the last 50 years in order to provide for the amount of people that are living, uh, not only in Illinois, but uh, uh, living throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so my, go ahead. I would like to add that, you know, you were asking how this project started, and I would like to give credit to the Illinois Renewable Energy Association that, um, that the part of the project was one that started about five or six years ago, uh, working with Bob and Sonia Vogel, where we actually built the frame of the greenhouse that was on their property. And they did some work with it and tested it, but it wasn't earth-coupled. So there were a few things that we needed to do to it to make it fully functional. So they have donated the greenhouse to the high school and Josh, and, and basically we have upgraded it to add some of the features that will enable Josh to really do what we were hoping to do completely um, now at the high school. So it, it is a combination of, of a group of us here that have worked together with, with Josh and the high school to make this possible. 
locally. And ha- have you gotten some grant money as well? Yeah, we're, uh, we're very lucky to receive some grant money. Um, a big portion of it is from um, the Facilitating Coordination in Agriculture Education, a board that is set up through uh, the State Department, uh, Illinois State Board of Education, um, to improve agricultural uh, facilities and agricultural education. So they've been a humongous supporter of this project, and uh, we were able to receive a grant to, uh, um, to make sure this project is funded, All right. as well as um, a couple other uh, grants we, we've been able to receive. Um, the A. Charles and Lillimore uh, Lawrence Foundation has also been a huge supporter and uh, um, huge supporter of the project. So the, the goal here is once you're up and running, once you're off the grid, this is going to be uh, a focal point, it seems to me, for and – you, and you mentioned this uh, in some of the information I've seen, and there was an article uh, that was uh, written by um, – it was in the, the Rock River Times that I saw by uh, Robert and Sonia Vogel uh, about this and how um, you want to bring in not just high school students, but perhaps even grade school students. Is that right? That is correct. We're going to uh, essentially focus on high school students not only running uh, this off-the-grid greenhouse, but uh, conducting the research, developing the research, and uh, coming up with those conclusions and incorporating elementary students um, all across northern Illinois and bringing them in and doing field trips and uh, doing demonstrations and starting to, uh, to plant a seed in their mind and how easy it is, hopefully, down the road uh, to grow your own food uh, in your house. Let me ask a, a kind of a political question here uh, because every time uh, folks find a way to exist off the grid – the utilities come in and they find a way to tax it or they find a way to defeat it. Uh, they find a way, they, they throw obstacles in the way because it's a threat to their way of life. Uh, so do you, have you run into, and this is a question for either uh, Victor or Josh, uh, have you run into those obstacles at all? I, I haven't seen them yet, Mike. You know, obviously we're not big enough. Or, you know, we're at very early stages of proving this out. You know, who knows if someday. But ultimately, I think we all agree that the more efficiently we can live, the better off we're going to be. So I don't think that's a battle that they can win. If if there is somebody saying that you have to pay a tax on it, I don't see how that can happen. But, you know, who knows? There's a lot of things I don't believe will happen. (laughs) Well, no, no. And and, and let me me interject here. Um, You're... I don't. I don't want to accuse you of being naive, but you're being a little naive there. Because, uh, for, well, let me ask you: Do you uh, are you do you provide power back to the grid, or you're just completely cut off from all that, so you don't have any doings with any power companies? In, in the case of the greenhouse, um, we're completely off the grid, so we do not want to have a connection to any electrical power source. No, there's no propane to heat it. There's nothing. So this is something that would be difficult for anybody to stick their hands into and say, you you do need to owe us something. Now, that's not true at our home here in Oregon because we are grid-tied. We do have solar systems and a windmill, but the reality is we, we only get credit for a portion of our the solar energy that we create because we are grid-tied. And even if I use 
zero electricity per month, I still pay a $40 bill, just, you know, $40, you know, hookup fee. Just for so, the privilege. You know, even if I, yeah, that, so that's, that's an effect I can't avoid yet. Yeah, well, see, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, there's a, and, and, and that's because there are very few people like you Victor, who uh, are, are doing this, and you know, in the state of Illinois, the, I believe the number of uh, uh, residential solar a- um, installations is under a thousand. I could be wrong about that, uh, but it's not very many. Um, which means that the utilities can call the shots right now. Um, I I wonder when we get to the point, and as you said, at some point, we 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 should be able to create this energy and not pay. Uh, a, a, well, you know, paying a price for it is one thing, and 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 being thwarted is is quite another, uh, because we need to pr- progress on this. So I, that that was my uh, my question there, but I'm I'm glad to hear that the uh, the greenhouse is off the grid. That's that's our whole objective is that you do not need any external energy, and you know we're going to do some tuning this winter. We're going to figure out what works, what doesn't. We may have to change a few things, but that's. That's what uh, that's what learning is all about. So now I do want to make sure Josh mentions that the ribbon cutting, the uh, open house for the greenhouse, will be in two weekends. Do you want to get into a little more of that detail, Josh? Yeah, we're excited. Uh, on August twenty seventh at ten a.m. at uh, Oregon High School, there in Oregon, Illinois, um, two ten South Tenth Street, we will be doing a ribbon cutting ceremony, and uh, we are inviting the entire community, the public. Uh, We want to showcase this off. We believe that what we have is something truly special and is going to be a walk-through demonstration. So um, everyone is encouraged to come and uh, and is definitely welcomed. That sounds great. It sounds like a a wonderful uh, uh, event, Uh, and I hope folks will take advantage of this. Uh, If they want more information, where would they go, Josh? We haven't launched the website yet, unfortunately. (laughs) We're uh, we're still tweaking that one. Uh, The best way to get a hold of uh, information would be uh, directly emailing me uh, at uh, jnelson, N-E-L-S-O-N, at uh, ocusd.net. There's also going to be a couple of links on the Oregon Community School District's uh, webpage, so Oregon School District 220. So a question for you, Josh. When your website gets up, um, will you be blogging or showing progress so that people can see what's working at the greenhouse and, and how it's moving forward and what the kids are learning? Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to, we're, yeah, we are going to uh, uh, have um, not only uh, pictures but uh, student videos explaining what's happening. We're going to uh, be illustrating what research projects we currently have and uh, uh, there'll actually be a section in there uh, open to uh, uh, to thoughts or uh, to suggestions as well mm-hmm. uh, on this website. And I could imagine there's probably going to be a lot of other school districts looking at this going, wow, this is cool. How do we get involved? Yeah, we're. Uh, I've already been approached by uh, three different school districts um, that definitely want to, uh, to help and want to tour and uh, uh, gain information. Uh, about the greenhouse and uh, definitely view the benefits or the positives. That is, that's fabulous. I mean, spread the wealth. Let's mm-hmm. get the, that uh, out there. And, uh, um, and you guys are uh, at the epicenter of all this. This is, this is fabulous. Well, um, by the way, that's Josh Nelson, Oregon High School 
ag teacher out in Oregon, uh, Illinois. Uh, Victor uh, Zatare is also uh, on the phone from Happy Leaf LED. Uh, you want more information about that? It's happyleafled.com. Uh, the Renewable Energy and Lifestyle Fair is coming up, uh, and you can go to uh, IllinoisRenew.org to find uh, more information about that. In fact, I wanted to get into that a little bit. I know, Josh, you're making a presentation. Victor, as we mentioned, you're not part of it, but you've been part in the past. So uh, the two of you, I think you should uh, put in a little plug uh, for that event because uh, it sounds awfully cool. And uh, what can folks expect to see there? Let's start with you, Josh. Uh, Well, my presentation is going to be Sunday morning. Uh, We're going to be outlining uh, the -the off-the-grid greenhouse um, what expectations we have going into it and creating a learning environment uh, for, for display for everyone to see. We want to make sure uh, the clarity and uh, the openness of this project, uh, it's not just for, for the high school, it's for the community. Uh, so I'm going to be presenting that. Uh, I'm going to be going into specifics and into details uh, next Sunday morning, but uh, it's a two-day fair. Uh, outlining just about everything and anything everyone needs to know. Fabulous. Uh, Victor, what, uh, what else happens at uh, the Renewable Energy and Lifestyle Fair? Well, I've, I've been a speaker there for about 10 years, and I've, I've presented on topics that range from energy-efficient lighting to you know, super-energy-efficient building. And I, I really feel bad missing this year's uh, presentation. I would have been with Josh to talk about the off-the-grid greenhouse. So there's quite a few presentations and papers that have to do with energy and sustainable living, as well as there's quite a few vendors from all over, primarily the state of Illinois, but people come in from Wisconsin, and, and they show a variety of products based on uh, energy-efficient living and sustainable living. So it's, it's a great fair to come out if you have an interest in that sort of thing. Uh, I think this is either the 15th or 16th year. Let me see what it says here on the front. I think 15th it's annual. So they've been doing it for 15 years now. Right. I remember when, when we, we talked in 2010, it was the ninth annual. So just add yeah. six years to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I forgot the math there. So. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're the math guy, okay? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I, you're... I didn't remember. <laughs> I didn't remember the numbers, I guess. Uh-huh, yeah, Mr. Micromole <laughs> himself, okay? Uh, speaking of that, I, I need to get back to that for a second because there's something else that occurred to me uh, about uh, your Happy Leaf uh, LED. Um, I've, mm-hmm. been to, I've been to growing uh, places where, you know, the, the indoor uh, vast warehouses full of LEDs and uh, aquaponics and hydroponics. Um, and some of them I went to several years ago, uh, to, when, when things were starting up, uh, are you saying that your new light is, uh, you've tweaked it enough so that it's better than things that might've been out there five years ago? Well, sure. In five years, a lot has changed in the LED industry. The, the LEDs have always become more efficient. Um, they use less power, obviously. But the big difference between what you probably saw five years ago, Mike, was that those were real large installations in most cases. So they were for people or for companies that were growing food locally. So they'd have great big grow lights that may have cost $1,000, and they used a lot of power, not something that you would use in your home. 
But in the case, what we did is we took that, scaled it down, made it affordable, and effectively made it something that you could then use um, anywhere in your house. So does, does that uh, sort of – and we also use the top quality LEDs that are made in the world. There's a lot of companies that are making Chinese-based um, LEDs or products, and they do not work well. So we're building these commercial quality, but much smaller and much more affordable, something that, you know, for just over $100, you have something that will last the rest of your life for growing your, your own leafy greens, herbs, and pretty much anything you want at home. Yeah, but unless the technology changes yeah. in another five years, right? Well, it's going to continue to improve. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, but, but I don't think it's going to change to the degree where it's going to – this will become obsolete. Yes, I'd say in five years it'll be a little more efficient. So we're always going to have to constantly change and improve products. But the reality is this: what you have today will work great as well. Uh, well, I'm uh, really eager to try it out. I've, I've, and, and I'm not sure if I'm going to grow food or just try it out on some of my uh, indoor plants because one of the things that happens in the winter in my house, of course, is the, uh, a lot of the tropical sulk. They don't. They don't like the winter very much, um, right. and you know. And some of them, they drop leaves and they be, they behave badly. And uh, yes, my poor Meyer lemon just kind of droops all winter. Yeah, and this might be so, a way. What's that? Speaking of Meyer, Meyer lemons, is Polly's parents uh, bought a little Meyer lemon tree last winter, and they put our lights on it, and they were sending us lemons all winter. It no. was really incredible. Wow. Oh. They were growing them all winter in, indoors, and you were also saying a lot of plants droop. Uh, there's one of our customers, Polly's customers, has bought a light and put it over a little uh, pineapple, and uh, I think she calls her Penelope. <laughs> and it, 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 the pineapple flourishes all winter, you know, so she keeps sending me pictures of it. And uh, so you really can keep either plants alive or keep them growing or use it to grow anything you want. I, like I said earlier, I, I'm growing uh, in a five-gallon bucket. I grow tomatoes, beets, uh, uh, carrots. I've got a, uh, what's called a uh, uh, Malabar spinach plant growing right now. So you can just take your spinach off and have it year-round. It's literally a bush. And I just have a grow light in a five-gallon bucket and... Really? really pretty darn cool. now see yeah. now, that, that was the other question i missed that i meant to ask is that most of the operations i've seen in the past would tell me well yeah we can grow uh greens and spinach maybe uh but uh really not tomatoes and and not uh, the more sophisticated vegetables it sounds like that's not an issue with you no no it really isn't you know you do need to experiment with the the right types of seeds a little bit but you know i can help people there as well or happy leaf can help and it's literally using a five gallon bucket with hydroponic fertilizer in it and using i i actually encourage you or anyone who would like to learn how to grow indoors to look at the kratky method it's spelled k-r-a-t-k-y and we've modified it somewhat by using it in canning jars Mm -hmm. as well as using our led lights what do you like about that method well, it's, it's completely passive. So this is one of the reasons you can grow without any external energy. Conventional hydroponics requires pumps and motors, so you need electricity. And if you're doing it passively, you know, you don't have that um, 
so so the method is really incredible. It's it's an ingenious way of growing indoors because you don't have any sound, and it it, it uses a canning jar. You use a three inch diameter canning jar lid, and it's a one quart canning jar. You put a net pot into it with some clay pellets and a seed, and turn the light on for sixteen to eighteen hours. You walk away, and three weeks later, you're eating your herbs and leafy greens. Hmm. So the three things that you need um, are water, the fertilizer, which is just a tiny thimble full per gallon, and uh, a a nickel of light per day of power will run uh, 12 of these containers um, under your light. If you take a look at the Happy Leaf website, there's about a dozen YouTube videos that describe how to set it up and run it. And I think it really is a game-changing approach for us to be able to grow food indoors. That, And Dr. Kratke, who developed it, he's, he's been a professor at the University of Hawaii for quite a while. Uh, but he's originally from the Midwest. He's a Ph.D. from Purdue. And he's the one that developed the method. We've just modified it a little bit to do it in canning jars as well as with our LED lights. That is so, a game yeah. changer. I've, I've got visions of this in my basement over the winter. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you've got some converts <laughs> here. Well, My 80-year-old in-laws and my parents are both growing literally all their own leafy greens and herbs, either in their basement or in their apartment uh, in, in Indiana right now, and they are absolutely thrilled with it. And Polly, Polly's dad... Is he didn't start growing indoors until he was seventy-eight years old. He's got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Victor Zatare, thank you so much. Uh, that's just fabulous stuff. I'm looking forward to coming out and seeing you and Polly. Probably in September, we'll 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 work it out when our mutual friend is back in town. Um, and Josh, I hope you'll let me come over to the high school and see the greenhouse. And don't forget, folks, uh, happyleafled.com uh, or go to illinoisrenew.org for the Illinois Renewable Energy and Lifestyle Fair, which is uh, next weekend. Um, and, uh, Victor, I have a feeling we'll be talking more about uh, Happy Leaf LED in the future. Sounds great. Thank you, Mike. It's the Mike Novak Show on Q4 Radio. Rick DeMaio weather at long last coming up in just a couple of minutes. Now, are you blue? Wait, let me rephrase that. Do My you, bracelet is. <laughs> oh, there you are. That's that's aqua. Uh, do you like blue? I mean, the color blue, especially in the garden. It's not a color that is easy to find in most yards. But if you have the July-August issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, you can read an article by Heather Prince about which plants to grow that will give you the blues. Those include wild hyacinth, bottle gentian, great blue lobelia, which I grow in my own yard, Virginia bluebells, duh, uh, sky blue aster, and more. Each issue is chock full of informative articles and stunning photographs. Then there's my column on the inside back page. I've been accused of working blue, but you'll have to read it to see if you agree. Oh, heck, it's a gardening magazine. What do you think I'm going to write? Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com, but if you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. 
Trying to weather the housing market? Consider replacing your windows and siding. Remodeling Magazine says they're some of the nation's most popular projects today. Trust DR Services Unlimited, 847-998-1687 for all your remodeling and energy needs. Rated A-plus by the Better Business Bureau and recommended on Angie's List. DR is a proud member of NARI. DR provides exceptional quality at a fair price. Contact DR at 847-998-1687 or at RestoreTheNorthShore.com. Did you know Chicagoans are getting healthier all the time? Hi, I'm Peggy, and I know this is true because for six years I've been publishing Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest magazine. And if you want your message to reach this growing market, you do need to get your business in front of our readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us that our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and ready to take action. That's more than 80,000 people in Chicagoland who will respond to your message. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health coaches, yoga instructors, even home improvement and landscape experts. Natural Awakenings is a free monthly magazine available in more than 1,100 locations throughout Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. Call me today to expand your market and grow your business. 847-858-3697. That's 847-858-3697. Natural Awakenings. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. On a dry and dusty road, the nights we spent apart alone. I need to get back home to cool, cool rain. I can't sleep and I'm late and I think the night is hot and black as ink. Oh, God, I need a drink. I'm playing. I, I don't. And I don't know if Rick can uh, hear this, but uh, I, I can hear you, Mike. I can, but you can't hear the music, can you? No, but I can't hear the music. Oh, that's a shame. I'm playing the uh, the Who. Uh, oh, love rain or me. So I need a drink of cool, cool rain. But uh, we've had ah, yeah. we've we've had our share here in the. And by the way, welcome back. Good to have you back. Let's give uh, Rick a beer ding. All right, there you go. Uh, uh, how, Good morning. How, how were your travels? Uh, let's see, 24 states um, in my two trips. Um, I would say they were pretty good. Wow. I saw a lot of, a lot of, a lot of interesting, beautiful um, wildlife in the Chesapeake Bay area, uh, southern sections of New Jersey, the Cape Bay area, uh, one of the largest natural pine uh, preserves in the United States. You wouldn't think about it in New Jersey, but there it is. Wow. Uh, then took this amazing um, ferry ride. It's about, eh, about 15, 16 miles from the south tip of New Jersey over to uh, Delaware. And while we're on the ferry with about, I don't know, 500 other people and about 100 cars, we saw uh, a school of dolphins. Hmm. And if you've, ever, if you've ever seen a school of dolphins swimming by, there's nothing more majestic than watching them 
you know, their, their fins come up to the top and then they kind of go down and everybody starts to, you know, lean over to one side of the boat. Uh, and <laughs> don't then, like, tip the boat! <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, Mike, but there is a uh, national park. Uh, it actually straddles both um, Maryland and Virginia. In, pack, in fact, that part of the United States where you have Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia is called the Del Mar of the Peninsula. Mm-hmm. A lot of people on the East Coast know that. People in the Midwest uh, don't because it's not something that we refer to often here. But in weather language, we refer to it as the Del Mar of the Peninsula. And there's, there's two national parks. There, it's called Assateague, A-S-S-A-T-E-A-G-U-E. And one of the amazing things about it, Mike, is there is a um, literally a herd of wild horses which yeah. walk through the park, and you can drive right up to them. They're very calm, very timid, and take photographs. You don't want to get too close to them. Um, but it, it, it's probably one of the more pristine areas of the United States because you're literally surrounded uh, by wildlife and marsh. And as we all know, the Chesapeake Bay Area has been one of the most um, I should say, I don't know if I should say, but uh, overfished and impacted by... Oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, and, ter- and terribly, terribly polluted. You know, we talked earlier oh. uh, on, the, on the program, we talked about plastic bags, and one of the great things right. th- that happened mm-hmm. in D.C. is that when they imposed a tax or a fee on uh, plastic bags, that money, is a lot of it is going to clean up Chesapeake right. Bay. Yeah, and 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 then there and then there was a um, I, on Monday. I don't know how I did it, but I drove all the way from Ocean City, Maryland, back to Chicago in one day. That was that was a new record for me. That was 950 miles. Yikes. The amazing thing about yeah, the amazing thing about it is you go through some areas of of Maryland where you know, this was settled. You know, back in the early 1600s, Mike. You're talking about an area where where people have had their footprint. For over 400 years, and the first 300, we probably weren't too friendly, you know, to Mother Earth. And then you're then you're taking a couple of these, you know, long bridges across the Chesapeake, and and it, and it truly is mind-boggling. I mean, we really talk about the Great Lakes here as being, you know, one of the largest water systems in the United States. But when you really think about it, you know, you get to the shoreline of the Great Lake. There's the beach. There's the lake, mm-hmm. and you kind of forget about it. But when you're driving through all these marshlands. And all these low-level areas of, of of wildlife and 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 waterfowl, it, it truly is impressive, and and it really makes you think about how how deeply connected we are to the you know basically the history and and the future of of Mother Earth, especially when you can go back literally 400 and almost 450 years to that particular area. So to me, whenever I, whenever I take these trips, it, it's not so much about enjoying myself and the freedom away from, you know, doing other things that require work, but it's really getting involved in, in understanding uh, the ecosystem of the United States. So I was privileged and happy to do it, but I'm also glad to be back in Chicago. And I'm looking at, you know, and, and I'm one of these Midwesterners who really doesn't know much about the East Coast, so I'm looking at the map right now of Assateague Island National Seashore, and it looks oh, really cool. It, 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 is, it is beautiful, and one of the great things about it is once you head south of, of Ocean City, Maryland, which is really a mess of hotels when you come to think about it, um, it, it it's almost about 25 to 30 miles of just single lane roads that you take through the national park 
and, and Mike, it's it's nothing but flat marshland. Some people may say it's boring, but when you stop and you look and you listen and you hear the sounds of the of of, of the frogs and there's deer and there's obviously crabs and you know waterfowl and all that other stuff, uh, and then you get to the wild horses, it, it it's unmatched in its beauty. And on top of that, it's surrounded by you know, four large metropolitan areas between, you know, Virginia Beach to the south, Norfolk, Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., Baltimore, and the Delaware Bay, um, which is uh, the area between Delaware and um, New Jersey, where the, where the, um, uh, the ferry goes across. That, that part of the Delaware Bay is about 25 miles wide. And what's amazing is you, you, you have this ferry going across this large mouth of water and you see dolphins, and what do you see crossing in front of you are these massive tankers and these cargo vessels that are going into one of the largest ports in the United States, into the Baltimore area. So it, it really is a, a fragile mix of, of humans and nature all coming together. And the Delaware Bay starts at this teeny little river in the Catskill Mountains about 300 miles north. And, and it really gives you a better appreciation for how one small little sliver of water becomes this massive bay and this opening, you know, to places like Washington, Baltimore, and obviously Philadelphia. So there's a lot of history in there as well. And I always make sure when I'm traveling with kids that, that you kind of point this out because half the time they're, they're looking at their iPhone and their <laughs> iPad. And it's just like, and, and, and that part I, I get kind of upset about, but I have to say something quickly about Pokemon. Even though as much as I hate the whole Pokemon Go thing, it has some really interesting historical pieces of information that whenever these kids pick up and they go, wow, look, this is showing up on my Pokemon Go. And I'm like, really? It's showing that there was a World War II garrison here? And I'm like, I go, okay, I guess I got to say it's cool to some extent. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I love it. I mean, as much as I love the Rocky Mountains and the West, I, I think our connection to the maritime historical part of the East Coast United States is, is, is truly something that I think us Midwesterners kind of miss out on, but if you get a chance to do it, it's, it's absolutely a gem. Okay, that's, that's next on the agenda for me. Uh, you know, <laughs> speaking of Pokemon, though, um, one of the, the downsides of that is I, I posted an article on my Facebook page um, just a few days ago, maybe a week ago, mm-hmm. about how the Pokemon, Pokemon Go uh, was sending people to uh, a sensitive area at Foster Beach where they were trampling some native plants and uh, yeah. causing it's causing a problem. Uh, right, and and I, I think I had mentioned that to you about three weeks ago. Remember, I said I was I was at Loyola Beach, um, the Loyola Dunes, and there were like two hundred people literally walking through. And I'm like, and I, and I kept telling people, like, you know, you're walking through the dunes, and they just kind of like looked at me and said, whatever, I'm looking for a Pokemon. And then I think the Chicago <laughs> Park District uh, told them to take that off the list. So um, I, I think anybody who's listening, Mike, and any time that you could post something where, you know, these people are just trampling, you know, on areas that should not be trampled on, I think is a good thing. Yeah, I know people want to have fun. It gets on outside and stuff like that. But come on, give me a break. After a while, I'd have a little bit more respect for nature. 
Yeah, you know, and, and apparently that's a, a thing now of of people petitioning Pokemon Go to say, please don't use this area because you're just causing damage. Uh, it's 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 right. it's a big deal. Uh, to keep, now it's as big a deal to keep Pokemon out of areas as it is to get them in the <laughs> areas. Pokemon Go away. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we should change the name to Pokemon No. How about that? <laughs> Uh, I think uh, that will work for me. Oh, and I didn't wait. Let me do it again. I said, I think that works for me. Okay, you didn't hear the rim shot. I just played that. No, you didn't get the thing there. Um, But, you know, one of the other things that that was interesting, uh, driving through parts of um, uh, of Ohio, massive amounts of um, uh, of parched fields. Um, They're in a serious drought in parts of Ohio. The corn in that part of the country looks terrible. Uh, parts of western Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, uh, they've had very little rain, uh, and now they've had temperatures the last couple of days in the upper 90s, even parts of the uh, lower portion of New York State, Long Island, horrible drought. But yet here in the Midwest, you know, we ended up the month of uh, July as the third wettest month ever to the state of Illinois collectively. Part of that was more so due to the fact that the heaviest rain fell to the south of us and then just like that, when we turned the page into the month of August, we started off the first 11 or 10 days of the month without a single drop of rain. It ended up being the driest um, opening or at least the, the first 10 days of the month of August uh, in over 50 years. And, and we changed that with the flip of a switch and ended up with about two inches of rain at O'Hare, about three at Midway, uh, almost four to five inches of rain across southern areas of Will County and into um, Grundy, Kane, Kendall, I shouldn't say Kane, more so Iroquois and Kankakee County. Uh, yet at the same time, the National Weather Service office was reporting four and a half inches of rain. Uh, Rockford had 0.05 inches of rain. So it showed you huh. just yeah. how, how, how narrow sometimes these heavy rain events are. And that, that typically is, is, that, that typically is the way heavy rain goes in the month of August when the upper winds becomes very, very weak, and oftentimes you have these little bits and pieces of tropical energy, you sometimes get very, very narrow cores of heavy rain. And I, and I send you some information you probably haven't had a chance uh, to I'm, look at I'm actually looking at it right now. You're showing me some heavy rain expected for parts of Illinois and Indiana um, on Monday night, but not really so much Chicago, right? Yeah, it looks like we're going to be kind of on the northern edge, but, but, but the first bit of information shows you the top ten wettest Augusts of all time. Yes. Uh, I think five of them have been literally within the last um, 10 or 15 years, and, and, and you can see that, that you can get some hellacious totals of rain, you know, 10, 12, even 14 inches have occurred sometimes uh, during the month of August, which tends to be our wettest month of the year. Um, and the rainfall that we're going to get over the next uh, two or three days, particularly to the south of us, could end up making this summer collectively between June, July, and August uh, probably one of the probably in the top five wettest um, summers of all time for the state of Illinois. Maybe not so much for the Chicagoland area, uh, but this is the same energy and the same moisture flow that started out four days ago, believe it or not, in the Bahamas crossed into Florida, affected areas of the Florida Panhandle and Mississippi, produced a terrible flooding that's still going on across portions of Louisiana, yes. and is now beginning to migrate northward. So people say, 
how does weather go from the Bahamas to Chicago? Well, what ends up happening is you have this huge Bermuda high that sits basically over the western sections of the Atlantic Ocean. So you have this clockwise flow of air that literally goes from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock to midnight. And as that flow comes all the way around the backside of the high, we end up with that heavy rainfall. And even the heavy rainfall that we had in the top five Augusts of all time, usually they're associated with these types of patterns. So one of the things that meteorologists do is we use climate. We use different patterns of past events. And if the pattern sets up that way, you typically say, this looks like it could be a heavy rain event, as long as you have the other ingredients uh, to follow. And it certainly looks like that's going to be the case. The placement, though, which is key that you pointed out, still appears to be generally south of us. That could change a little bit. But from what I've seen from last night and this morning, it still appears that here in Chicago, maybe an inch, maybe two inches of rain. But those, those areas and those people listening to the areas generally south of Interstate 80 uh, could be in for three to four, maybe even five inches of rain. Wow. And those were the same area that got the heavy rain on Friday. So this could produce some serious flooding in a very short period of time because the ground just won't be able to handle it. You know, I'm looking at this map you sent uh, about rainfall prediction for the next three days. And, folks, if you could see this, it just starts in Texas and Louisiana and just curves up Mm -hmm. to the northeast uh, through Arkansas. Arkansas gets hammered. Missouri gets hammered. Southern Illinois gets hammered. Indiana gets hammered. um, And, uh, you know, some you've got some... uh, potential totals of uh, close to uh, eight inches of rain. It's just insane. Yeah, it's almost a seven-and-a-half-inch bullseye. Uh, unfortunately, though, for those farmers in, in parts of eastern Indiana and much of Ohio, the rainfall literally comes too late because the corn has already tasseled out. Whatever corn is on the stalk is not going to get any bigger because of the rainfall. Yeah. That kind of stuff you needed about a month ago, as we all know. But whatever rain that we do get will obviously help out with the uh, uh, plants and flowers that we have obviously going. And wouldn't you agree, Mike, it, it's like you get into about the, the 10th to about the 20th of August, and every single flower, every single tree, everybody's garden, whether you've been doing a good job with it or not, is, is at its peak, is at its prime. This is the best time of the year for our gardens to look great, and they do. Well, you know, I, I would take issue with that. I often think that May is the best month for when okay. gardens but but you have different kinds of plants you see in may you got bulbs by this time of year most of those are gone and even the lilies have that's kind true. of st- yeah, have true. stopped at this time of year but uh we mentioned some native plants earlier like um uh le- asters. asters and liatris and and goldenrod and those kinds of flowers are blooming so uh lots of yellows mm-hmm. at this time of year and and purples too so you know there's there's Good and bad with each. So, all right, what's the, uh, what's the forecast here? Okay, so obviously a great day today. Uh, we made it up to 84 yesterday. We'll probably make it up to about 84, 85 today. Uh, tomorrow still looks pretty good. A lot of sunshine, lower 80s. Um, oh, well, hold on a second. Lower 80s today. Tomorrow looks bad. Um, clouds in the morning, and it looks like the best chance for rain. Probably developing in the afternoon, continuing into the overnight period. Uh, and eventually into Tuesday as well. So probably only low to mid-80s for a high both tomorrow and Tuesday, and then the rain should be out of here by Tuesday afternoon. And then it looks like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday all look great. The good thing is if you don't like heat and you don't like humidity, which we had quite a bit of for two days this past week, I don't see anything, anything in the way of 90-degree temperatures 
get this, Mike, for the next two weeks. Wow. Uh, so the long-term, yeah, the long-term pattern does not bode well for any heat and humidity building. If anything, humidity will be high due to the fact that we've had some good rains and we'll get some more. Uh, but anywhere between, I'd say, near to slightly above normal for the next six to ten days temperature-wise. And once we get to about the 20th to the 21st of August, I think we're looking at a general pattern of slightly cooler temperatures. Uh, so nothing really in a wave any 90s around here for probably the next two and a half to three weeks. Well, you know, what that means is, and, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't, is the middle of August is when you can start preparing your lawn because uh, that's the best time to, to work on your lawn and get seed down, especially if it's a little cooler. So this might be working out very well for that. Yeah, you know, overall, I, I think it's been a fantastic summer, both temperature. I think we're up to 13 days so far uh, above 90. That's about two days above normal. We haven't had any extreme periods of extreme heat, even though the media likes to call a day above 90 a hot day. Um, but, I mean, really, after a while, it's like it's summer. It's supposed to be hot. It's supposed, it's supposed to be, to be 90. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and by the way, speaking of hot and humid, 99 yesterday in New York City with a heat index of 110. Wow. And that was and, and that was at the airport where you tend to have sensors a little bit closer to the water. I wonder what the temperature was actually like somewhere in the middle of downtown Manhattan. It was probably a heat index of about 100, 125. So oh, my goodness. Terrible weather for those folks. That is, but they'll get some rain come Tuesday and Wednesday. But, again, our rain tomorrow continuing into late Tuesday, Mike. All right, well, uh, Mr. DeMaio, good to have you back. And uh, I know Bill Turk is listening. Uh, he filled in for you. It was actually, I called him our AirSats uh, <laughs> meteorologist, Bill Turk. And, oh, great. And he, he did like a, a, a quick uh, rundown. But, uh, uh, Bill, that's the, that's the way it's done, Bill. Yeah, and, and I'll send you some <laughs> pictures of those horses at Assateague. Definitely anybody who wants to travel out east, a must visit. It really is a cool place to see. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Rick, thanks so much. No, Take care, Rick. Bye-bye. Uh, we might as well get our, our – uh, has this become our de facto ending theme? The like, last few weeks it has. It has. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Peggy Malecki. Thanks, George Brigandi. Thanks to uh, all of our wonderful guests on the, the show today. I hope you tune in. Uh, check for the podcast at MikeNovak.net. You can always go to – the Mike Novak Show on Facebook, The Mike Novak Show on Instagram, and at Mike Now on Twitter. All right. Go green or go, go home. home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. We'll <laughs>